You are listening to The Book Judge, a podcast about books that you should read if you're interested in business. I'm your host, Conrad Chua. This is a curated reading list to give you a better grip on how to approach the complex issues that businesses face. Now, all of us have had to sit through an interview or go through a job application process. Most of us hate it. You know, all this thing about having to bear your soul, having your life details scrutinized. Now, some of us have been on the other side of the table, interviewing and recruiting people. Identifying talent is a vital skill, yet most of us are never trained or taught how to do it. This episode looks at life on the other side of the table. Claudia fernandez Arauz has spent years with McKinsey, Egon Zender, and most recently with Harvard, so he's seen top leaders up front and knows how to spot them. He puts his wisdom down in the book, It's not the how or the what, but the who. Succeed by surrounding yourself with the best. The book is written almost like a series of blog posts, with each chapter no longer than four or five pages. Each chapter looks at different aspects of how to identify and develop top talent. There's some quantitative data, but there's a lot of war stories that Fernandez Arroz has accumulated over his years in the executive search business. And he's a very good storyteller. For example, he tells the story of Pedro Algorta, who was one of 45 passengers on board a plane that crashed in the Andes. Many of the passengers died instantly in the crash, and more died in the subsequent days. Pedro and 15 others survived for 72 days before being rescued, long after they had been given up for dead. I've not watched it, but there's a movie, Alive, that chronicles the gruesome choices that the survivors had to make, including eating the flesh of the dead passengers in order to survive. Fernandez Orells knew Algorta personally. He recruited him into one of the largest industrial groups in Latin America and saw him develop into a key leader in that company. Fernandez Orells thinks that Algorta had the right motivation and four key leadership assets. The right motivation was a combination of fierce commitment and deep humility. He even left the industrial company because he recommended the closure of the very business that he was leading. Al Gorta also had four key leadership assets that Fernandez Oroz has seen in all high-potential executives. These are curiosity, insight, engagement, and determination. Now, it's not surprising that Al Gorta had determination. I mean, he survived 72 days in the frozen Andes with little food or water. But he also showed curiosity and insight by noticing how the water melted and therefore determining their location. He was fully engaged with the other survivors, making sure everyone was taken care of as much as possible. And he carried these attributes into his corporate life. Now, you don't have to only recruit survivors of near-death experiences into your company. Fernandez Orez and other search consultants are there to um, help you. And there are times reading this book when I thought it was an advertorial for Agon Zender. But Fernandez Orez's charm and self-deprecation shines through enough that I continued reading. And I can say he's a charming man because I met him at a conference several years ago. Conference participants got a free copy of his book and I still have mine today. Thank you.
This is the part of the podcast where I place a spotlight on one part of the book that you can use immediately in your business or in an interview or just to impress your business school friends. I call this the Did You Know section. Do you know who are the best talent spotters in your organization? Do you know how good or bad they are? Research in the book will change the way you think about how your organization recruits. First of all, most organizations have no data on who are their best talent spotters. Which of your interviews have chosen candidates who performed well over time? Research shows that the best interviews have about a 70% accuracy rate. Most people are down at 30%. That's sobering statistics, but it gets worse. Let's say you luck out and you have someone who's right about candidates 90% of the time, which is completely unheard of, but makes for easier math. So assume this person evaluates 100 candidates and we know that only the top 10% of that population are stars. So what percentage of people whom this person estimates to be in the top 10% will actually be in that top 10% and be stars? It's a common mathematical problem. And if you want, you can pause the podcast now to work it out. So what's your answer? It's actually 50%. Most people forget that while the interviewer might be right 90% of the time finding a top candidate, there's also a 10% chance the right person is rejected and a 10% chance that the wrong person is hired. When you work out the math, these errors bring the success percentage down to 50%. And remember, this was with an interviewer who is 90% right. Most of us are at the 30% level. So that's the bad news. The good news is, there are things you can try to improve your odds. The first is to improve the quality of the pool of candidates. If there are lots of stars in your pool, you don't need to aim for the top 10%, and your odds of finding the stars improve. The second thing you can do is to have a series of interviews, which most organizations do. But there's a word of caution here. Each interviewer must have a high accuracy rate. This is not perfect. While you will reduce the chances of hiring the wrong person, you actually increase the chances of rejecting the right people. And the hiring process gets even worse if you were to include interviews who are poor judges of character because they'll add more of the wrong people and reject more of the right people. This last point reminded me of the recruitment process when I first joined the Cambridge Business School. We had the formal process with interview panels, but we also asked shortlisted candidates to meet the team they would be working with. It was an informal meeting, but we did ask the team for their views on the candidates after their meeting. I stopped this practice the first chance I could. I did not think about the mathematics as described in this book, but I instinctively knew that allowing people, many of whom had never been interviewers before, to get into the process would skew our results in favor of candidates who reflected the status quo. Now, I experienced pushback when I first made this change. People thought it would be more difficult for the team to accept any candidate if they didn't have a vote in the process. And I can't say I was perfect either. I made the worst hiring decision of my career soon after taking on 
a leadership role in the school. But the math in this book does give you more insight into how you can recruit better candidates. A large part of the book is devoted to the issue of how you're not recruiting an individual, but adding someone to a team. This becomes very important when considering outside hires. Of course, search consultants make a lot of their money from recommending outside hires, so it was refreshing to hear the perspective of an experienced headhunter. Evidence shows that, yes, the best employees have portable talent, strengths that only get stronger as these people go from one industry or company to the next. But most people don't have these portable skills or talent. These people may be successful, but their success comes from the unique circumstances that they might have in their current role. They could have a good team or a great boss, a supportive mentor, favorable industry trends, any number of reasons. Performance is not entirely due to talent, but comes from the five Ps. That's processes, platforms, products, people, and politics. These things are not that portable. And it calls the question whether you should recruit from the MBB, right, that all MBAs want to go into. That's McKinsey, Bain, and BCG. Or should you look at stars who have thrived in weaker firms? The idea is, if someone could thrive in adversity, they have a better chance of growing in your firm. Whereas, it's hard to disentangle an individual's talent at MBB from the great support those companies provide all their employees. There's also the issue of what are the skills that are needed at the given point in the organization's life cycle? Are there gaps in the current team? To analyze that, Fernando Sorez has a team effectiveness model that assesses a team on their balance, alignment, resilience, energy, openness, and efficiency. So he calls a team that's low on efficiency and alignment the debating society. And I've seen that type of team lots of lots of times while working in higher education. I've also had to manage teams that were low on balance and openness, or what he calls the overly tribal teams. These are teams that lack diverse experiences. They agree on everything, and they've got a shared identity distinct from the rest of the organization. That team clings to the status quo and misses opportunities. I found this tool very useful in also thinking what type of team an organization needs for particular circumstances. So if your company is in a turnaround, you need efficiency and resilience more than anything else. If you're grappling with post-merger integration, then balance and alignment are key. It's also the case that you don't need the same skills to the same degree everywhere in the organization. Maybe you need that more in the middle level who have to implement many of these measures, or you need certain attributes at your senior leadership level who need to provide the direction. As we begin to wrap up, I want to point back to a previous episode. In my episode on digital minimalism, I talked about my digital declutter process. 
I'm recording this precisely 30 days after starting the declutter. So if you want to know more about how I've done, stay tuned at the end of this episode. That's all for this week. If you like what you hear, I want to ask one favor. Tell one other person about the show and encourage them to listen. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave a rating and review. It helps others discover the show. Leaving a review will also be your best way to pass comments about the show to me. Till next time, this is your book judge, Conrad Chua. Thanks for staying till the end of this episode. 30 days ago, I set out on a digital declutter process that I described in the episode on digital minimalism by Cal Newport. Very briefly, I identified the optional technologies in my life and decided on some rules to control my usage of these optional technologies. I also identified activities that I would embark on using the time I had now freed up. My progress has been... Mm, somewhat mixed. First, I identified Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as optional technologies. I didn't delete all my accounts because I do have to check on what's being posted through our official marketing channels. Instead, I deleted the Facebook app on my phone and had app limit timer set up. And I found I didn't miss anything. It was amazing. I do post occasionally, I've completely cut out the mindless newsfeed scrolling scrolling that I used to do. The other optional technology was watching live football. I found that more difficult to control. My rule was to only watch my team Tottenham Hotspur play live games while there was someone else in the room so that I'm not like a zombie in front of the TV. Ideally, we should be doing something else like playing card or board games while the match was on but I did catch myself watching the match long after others had left the room. So it's still something I need to work on. I now found I had lots of lots of free time that I used to learn Swift programming and WordPress. I'm not an expert in either of these yet, but I did have that sense of accomplishment that comes from learning. I'm going to build on what I've learned and I'm currently building a website. If you've tried a digital declutter, Let me know how it went by leaving a review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Hope it goes well for you.